Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jerry, And I'm Jo. And this is our next podcast on the journey through the life course. Each month, one podcast will be dedicated to the human journey through the social work lens from pre-birth to end of life. Um, and we last looked at transitions to adulthood. And I must say, for me, making sure that I kept these two podcasts separate from each other was a bit tricky because um, they seem to almost like be emerging from moving into adulthood to young adulthood um, in some of the literature and things I was reading. So that was interesting. Yes. So um, I suppose the first thing I wanted to say is is just thank you for listening, because um, actually the last few episodes we've done for series four, we've had over 600 downloads. Really? Which is as many as we've got for some of the older ones that have been out there for a long time. So that's really great. Um, Please tell us what you think. You can um, give us a rating on iTunes. You can go to our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com and leave a comment. You can go to our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast, and leave a comment. Um, Or you can just find us on Twitter. I'm at EffectivePrac and Joe is at JFox underscore Joe. There we go. Okay. So um, we're looking at this human journey through the social work lens and we're really wanting to think about how we grow and evolve and what this means for social workers who are alongside us on the journey. Um, We've got five more episodes now. We've hit adulthood. So we're looking at young adulthood, middle age, retirement, older age and end of life. Um, Very interested in these areas, Jerry, as um, I move towards some of them myself. Um, yeah, an end of life, of course, can come at any age. Um, so that podcast will consider much more widely than just old age. Yeah, it'll kind of bring us full circle, won't it? Mm. Um, yeah, so when we divvied up the life course, it seemed really appropriate to have lots of podcasts about adulthood because on average this is about 75% of your life. Yeah. But now it actually seems really daunting <laughs> to break it up, doesn't it? It because does, because... Adult services is sort of 18 to 65 or 25 to forever. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were lots of – when I was doing some reading, and and you'll see later on we'll we'll talk about family theory and that, there is definite um, theory around the different stages of adulthood. And I think, you know, Galensky's model of parenthood nicely takes you through those stages of adulthood too. So there's lots of good models around that help us take that journey. Um, And, of course, as we live longer and stay healthier for longer, what being an older adult is changes as well. So I think we'll find that this this will be um, an interesting interesting five five parts. Yeah, so the definitions, I mean, we we had the definition of an adult last time, Mm -hmm. one who's attained maturity or attained legal age, not necessarily the same thing. Um, in terms of biology, it's somebody who's fully grown, mature organism. And it's from the Latin adultus, from the verb adolescere, to grow up. So an adult is a grown up. Uh, interestingly, this one, which is about young adulthood. So we're not talking about young adults as in teenagers. No. So like if you go to a bookshop and you find young adult fiction, 
it's usually mm. teenagers. Mm. Um, we're thinking about people in the first part of adulthood. And actually, if you search young adult, you get the Charlie's Theron film called, called Young Adult, which was made when she was 36. And it's about <laughs> her struggle to be a grown up. Yeah. When she still feels, you know, like she's not sure what she's doing. Um, and actually thinking about this kind of period of life, 18 to 20 up to about 40 to 45 it is really about who am I and what am I supposed to be doing Mm. now that I'm an adult when I was 18 and once again you know this is only my viewpoint so it it, it has no more weight than that but I was pretty cop sure about everything I've got to say Jerry I've um as I've got older I have become less grown up in a sense if, if if that makes sense um so i think i think there is a distinct difference between a young adult at 18 and an adult of 40 actually yeah so it's an interesting kind of grouping um and mm. there is this issue of um, generational cohorts that are generally sort of grouped around 20 year groups mm. um but all these kind of cohorts and groupings and things it very easily become stereotypes don't they yes um, and and those stereotypes were kind of some of the things that I was looking into. So I kind of, when I, you, you talked about the fact that there's three areas traditionally to establishing an adult identity, work, relationship, and parenthood. And so I started looking into those um, from the Office of National Statistics. And the really interesting thing, and I just took it as 18-year-olds plus, um, and it's very interesting to, to see what young people are expecting out of their life as opposed to what they're getting. And and my thinking around that was because of some of those stereotypes, because the stereotype of the millennials, um, there's some kind of negative stereotypes there, isn't there, um, around their behaviour. But there's also some really difficult stereotypes around their relationship with um with other generations like the baby boomers mm. and and the feelings that they have around their opportunities. Yeah, there's a discussion, isn't there, about whether people coming into young adulthood now mm. are actually facing fewer prospects than existing people yeah. in, in middle or later adulthood, um, and when generally it's been the case that there's been a sort of sense of progress, mm. and whether that's the case or not and I think the jury's probably a little bit out on it there's definitely some really big barriers that young adults face yeah um, there's also though a, f- a feeling of um loss of opportunity or lack of opportunity as yes. well which I think is a problem yeah mm. well some of the things that were interesting for me like so when kids are 16 to 17 year olds so that's that kind of emerging into adulthood they expect to earn around 35,000 by the age of 30 um, if they'd achieved a degree, and 25000 if they didn't. But actually, um, 48%, um, it says here that the um, average salary of a 30-year-old was 23700 Yeah, which so really, seems really low. It yeah. does seem really low. And Compared to that expectation, certainly. Exactly. Um, and the other thing was that a lot of um, emerging adults, 16 to 21, um, 48% of them in 20, 2015 to 2016 thought they would go into higher education. 
um, but in reality only 38% of them did. Um, so there's, there's a whole range of areas where young people were projecting, I guess, a more hopeful future than the statistics are showing at the moment. Yeah, and that goes a lot. I mean, one of the big areas there is housing, isn't it? Um, yeah, are you able absolutely. to get your own place? Are you mm. able to kind of have that independence that was sort of expected before? Um, and that's been in the paper a lot this weekend, um, and and particularly because of this whole idea of it's actually harder for young people to get loans. Um, however, the bank of mum and dad has been stepping in and also this kind of idea of, of you know, young adults living at home um, a lot longer than so, you know, the Council of Mortgage Lenders estimates that only 30% of first-time buyers had help for families in 2005, but that figure's risen to 50% in 2015. And then the, the other thing that you've mentioned here is about parenthood, when people have children and how many children they have, how many mm -hmm. people have children, that that's yep. changing. And what that's changing is that it's social contract between us, isn't it? Because actually where we have, um, we have less population younger and more population older uh, that needs to be balanced out. So older people have used a lot of the resources and continue to use a lot of the resources but are also going to need more care and there's less younger people to push that push that money in. Um, so this is causing real tension as well. Yeah, yeah and I think it's, it's really um, important that whilst we look at the way that opportunity um, and uh, thriving Mm. happens across the life course we also don't pit generations against each other which is seem you know it's kind of a popular um device isn't it in rhetoric to kind of oh it definitely is just um in the eu sorry for cutting you off but you know with the brexit thing for example um you know there's this story that older people voted to leave younger people voted to remain and so there's a whole story around um, older people giving away younger people's future and rights and these kind of things and a, and a sense of um, frustration there um, as one example. Um, and other examples, as you say, the housing example and also work. Yeah, so I think um, those... That's the first thing to bear in mind, isn't it? That, that I, those sort of traditional markers of being an adult, of having a job that supported you to live independently, getting into a relationship and having kids, mm. all of that is changing. There's much mm. more fluid identities and there's much dif different opportunities, changes in opportunities, changes in choices, and also um, an inequality problem. Um, so those young adults who've got social capital and backing do and managing differently than the ones who don't have that because yeah. there's less um kind of state provision social provision mm. um so can you talk me through this um was it galinsky 
the Galinsky model. Yeah, there's two things that I wanted to raise. One, one is Galinsky is. Um, I'll talk about the family life model first, if that's okay, because um, family theory identifies five cycles that the family goes through, and this is critical because our young person has been in some kind of family normally, if they haven't been in residential care. And so the first thing that happens when you're 18 through to 25 or whatever age is independence. And it's really the most critical stage of family life. You enter young adulthood and you begin to separate emotionally from your family. And during this stage, you really strive to become fully able to support yourself emotionally, physically, socially and financially. And you also begin to develop unique qualities and characteristics that start to define your individual identity and the way you want to live, the way you're going to live your whole life. Um, intimacy is a really important skill during this time, and it's about developing and maintaining close relationships that can endure hard time and other challenges. So you're really learning about commitment, commonality or similarity, which is something that we often talk about, um, compatibility, attachment, and a dependence on another person who's not your family um, and shared emotion in relationship. There's also things like you begin to care for your own health at this stage. You become responsible for your own nutritional, physical, medical needs. Um, so developing healthy habits at this time is really important. And you really learn to see yourself as a separate person in relation to your original family. Um, and you establish yourself in work and career. And so you can see why the dialogue around is there enough work? Are we going to earn enough? Can we actually leave home? Can we find a place of our own? Why this is really heightened for this age group? Because a lot of the tasks that you're trying to do as a young adult need those resources with them. Yeah, and you've you've said that this is um, this helps you to develop that identity where you essentially by setting out on your own, I guess you are mm. establishing what your own sense of self is and your own integrity is, yeah. and testing that. Absolutely, and the really important thing um, to note here is that we are talking here really um, about adult children in Western cultures. Um, because in other cultures like the Middle East and Asia, there's much more experience still with intergenerational living, and there's often an expectation that you'll live with your family until you're married. So there's, for us, legally, once a young person turns 18, there was kind of an idea that they would start to become more adult and more independent, and so they're often moving away for jobs or moving away to university or moving in with friends. Whereas in other countries, that's not always the case. It's other important cultural events like marriage that mark that move out of the family. But we've got to be culturally sort of thoughtful about this, haven't we? Absolutely, because, you know, it's just, um, you know, there's a lot of assumptions about what independence looks like. And it doesn't always look like moving out of your family. Um, but it does look like taking some kind of responsibility for yourself and for your own identity and your own well-being. The thing this makes me think about this stage, um, which is only the first stage, isn't it, is mm. the um, the question of how you establish your identity 
um, and think about what your own self and family for the future might look like if you haven't had a clear sense of identity or family beforehand. Absolutely. Um, there's just been a memoir um, come out by Lem Sisse, mm. uh, which it tackles, I think, a lot of that sort of um, issue. You know, mm. who am I if I haven't known where I've come from or had that sense of family or belonging? Yeah. Yeah, I think, that, and it's interesting in our last podcast where we talked about migration, uh, young people who have um, migrated as children or whether we must have a kind of interesting sense of self as well. So that journey might be more difficult for, you know, asylum-seeking children, for example. Um, you know, coming through that journey might might be very different. So, yes, this, um, this uh, idea doesn't hold true for everyone, but it certainly gives you a sense of the types of tasks and jobs that we're trying to undertake because the second cycle in a family is um, coupling or marriage. You know, now it can occur while you're a young adult, you're still living at home, but um, it can be very hard to navigate. And, um, you know, once again, coupling depends on your you know, your sexual orientation on what it is that you value on all, on all sorts of things. Um, but what you're trying to do is explore your own ability to commit to a new family and a way of life, being in a committed relationship um, and forming a whole new family system. You're bringing your personal ideas, expectations and values that are shaped by your family experiences of origin and someone else is bringing theirs. And you're now going to create another whole new thing together. And that's quite a big job um, in young adulthood. It normally happens in young adulthood that we start to. And, and it's not always romantic, is it? Because sometimes we build families that are of very deep friendships. And we have those really deep commitments. And that becomes our family of choice. So I guess it's about that stage is about that, um, you know, finding the family that you want to belong to that fits with how you are now. I find that really interesting. So this is it's almost as if we've got a model here that's um, dependence to independence to interdependence, mm. although that's not necessarily how it looks in real life. Exactly. Um, and it's more much more mixed than that. Yeah. But it is an interesting thing to think of it in that way, just to think about what the different um, skills and expectations and um, pressures and opportunities might be for people mm. as they and navigate that. Yeah, and also to think that for us, um, the norm has been that people do this, that people move out of home and set up other family relationships. This has been the kind of stereotype. But actually we know that um, young people are living with their families much longer than they ever did. Um, much older and that families are um, coming back together. So, you know, families are moving back in together. Um, and the other thing is that getting married is no longer a thing. Young people just don't get married in the same numbers that they used to, which is, I think, very interesting. And people, the data shows that people often put off marriage until their 30s now. Okay, so and then the third cycle that can occur is parenting. Yes, 
that's when you decide whether you want to have a baby or not. Your decision to have children is one that affects your individual development, the identity of your family, your status. Um, yeah, your relationship. Um, yeah. It's a really different phase, isn't it? It um, is indeed. And the, I think the dilemmas that people experience about what they want and what is possible are really, real stressor in this time of life, aren't they? Yeah. And also, too, once again, if you have set up, so if you've, if you've followed that normal path, right, oh, you'd, you'll be leaving home soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm leaving home. Oh, have you got yourself a boyfriend or a girlfriend or someone yet? Yeah, yeah, I have. Oh, you'll be having a baby soon. It's, you know, there, there, is, a, there is a discourse um, of expectations, isn't there, on young adults around you've got that job, have you got that promotion, have you got that? So there's all sorts of things that are being asked of people in this age and stage, all these tasks that we expect them to do to demonstrate this independence and this ability to, you know, make a new family. And then, you know, almost straight away comes on the pressure, I think, for us to procreate and that's yeah. all and certainly it's something that, that the public feel they've got a right to ask you about oh, yeah yeah um, absolutely you know, you know young people young adults setting out still have a lot of answering to do to the older adults around them don't they in terms of public expectations so I think they're the three cycles of the family cycles that can hit. And you said here group. that, again, the, the average age of a first-time mother in England and Wales has gone up to almost 29. Yeah, so it's going really up changed. in this really part changed. of the world. Yep. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about adult attachment. Um, I have done did some reading around this um, from some work I did a, a year or so ago, uh, looking at mostly at work that Clark Boehm and David Howard done. And I think, again, in children's services, we might have talked about this before, um, attachment is much more known and used and thought about. In adult services, um, working with adults, we haven't traditionally used it as much, um, but there's lots of valuable things to think about, um, particularly if you think about it in terms of attachment styles and preferences rather than fixed attachment. Because yes. I think what we, what we know from the evidence is that um, the kind of patterns that children um, grow up with if it's more balanced then it leads to um, greater kind of self-efficacy and belief in being able to develop trust and relationships um, if you have a more distancing pattern it can lead to um, difficulties with forming relationships because of um, highs and lows of emotions um, and potentially you know, the kind of pushing and pulling um, and the preoccupied pattern can lead to trying to overplease or compulsively caring um, or potentially being overly self-reliant. Mm. So how we grow up, the experience of relationships as we grow up affects adults. Um, but some things that are quite interesting thinking about adults is that um, it influences how people act not just in romantic relationships though or with their own children but mm. also with other people that they interact with so um wider relationships including social care and social work professionals mm. but the other thing that's interesting is that the links between children's attachment behavior and adults attachment styles aren't inevitable it would appear you know, from the research that we have um your context your environment your history your experiences your own personality and crucially 
the other experiences of relationships you have as an adult mm-hmm. can really change your style and your yeah. preference. And, and that's, so, sorry, Jerry, I was about to say, that's why that job of finding your own family and being able to relate to them and communicate with them and have an honest and open and authentic relationship, healthy relationship, it can be so critical um, because there can be tremendous opportunities for your attachment style to refine and flex and change. Yeah, and the work that I looked around around the uh, the work that I looked at around this um, talked about the difference between kind of continuous secure attachment style. Mm. Mm. that you brought from childhood into adulthood and an earned secure style which is where you develop it later on Um, and in both cases the young adults got a clear narrative a coherent story you know they Mm. can talk about their childhood experience and integrate that into a narrative of who they are now and have a sort of balanced and thoughtful and and, you know balance of emotion and thought about where they you know what their story is um and that can, yeah, that can be developed through dialogue in adulthood mm. and through experiences and in adulthood. So that's really helpful for us in social work, isn't it, to be thinking about our cohort, um, particularly of young care leavers or people coming from one service to another service um, and thinking about how we help them find opportunities to have um, earned attachment um, and how we help them go through that I guess finding relationships that are that are healthy and safe, um, because that's because you know it, it makes it makes such a huge difference to how you live your whole life. Yeah, and the um there were a couple of dimensions that, that this that I wanted to talk about, which is sort of more wide than social work, but relate to social work relationships with people that we work with. Mm. So the first is the changes in attitudes. Um, and the second is power. So if we're social workers of a particular age, whatever our age might be, relating to people of a particular age in this cohort, you know, this kind mm. of young adulthood, mm. um, I think having an understanding of how attitudes and expectations are changing is really important because I'm going to be out of step with people 10 or 20 years younger than yeah. me, for example. Um, and when you look at the British Social Attitudes Survey, the latest one in 2019 there are some really significant changes coming mm. through um so decline in religious identity generally um a um greater liberalization in attitudes to sex and sexuality and relationships and gender identity um again generally um changes in attitudes to gender roles generally um and low identification with traditional political parties generally. So that's going to be different here and there. And identities obviously will be very personal and will matter significantly. But it's just thinking about um, as over time, people's views really change. So we've got to kind of try and enter a different mindset in some ways, I think. And the other thing is about the power, because there's really... We've talked about some of this around kind of opportunities and equality and things like that, but there is a real sense, I think, in which younger adults can feel less powerful in terms of having less financial and political power, potentially. Mm. Um, But also 
can be perceived as quite powerful because of the value that we place on youth. Yeah. So if we're from a different age or from the same age, we've got to kind of think about, well, what's the power play here? And again, yes. that's bound up with all kinds of other elements of identity and the way those intersect. Um, and I think the thing is that actually younger people are not kind of um, not interested in politics. Sorry, that's a bit of a double thing. But, you know, they're not they're not apathetic. Actually, it's just that they do it differently. They're engaged in forms of direct action. So they're much more likely to be protesting. They're much more likely to be signing petitions. They're much more likely to be having um, challenging conversations and involved in student unions and other things. They're not involved in the traditional parties and the traditional power play in the way that um, that we that the older generations are. And I think that that's got something to do with politics changing, actually. Um, and the traditional two-party system not being seen as viable as what it once was. I think that's one of the changing um, beliefs that we're going to see coming through. But there's a lot of very well-informed, very active, very thoughtful um, young adults out there. Um, but the way that they talk about things and the way they share views are not the same are not the trip but by the traditional forces you know by the traditional yeah. ways yep. I think what's interesting about that is that we could end up with very different spaces mm. being occupied by different age groups yes. I mean, again bearing this is over so overly simplistic because there's so much kind of cross identity and you know um but that where the discussions that are going on don't refer to one another mm-hmm. and so there is an important social work role I think isn't there in um bringing people again bringing different voices together um helping the generations be coherent yeah thinking generationally ourselves not separating out children this adults that older people this but we don't want generations pitted against each other um you know a healthy society is one where you have a strong and fair social contract between the generations um, and it's interesting that there's been a report done by Resolution. It's called Stagnate, The Stagnating Generation. And what it's identified is that this contract is in danger of fraying um, because of a whole range of, as you say, people occupying really different spaces and places. So older generations um, feeling their pensions being under threat and so feeling really preoccupied by that. But younger and, and, and us being asked to work longer, so younger generations finding it harder to get into work. Um, there's all sorts of tensions there that that um, are amplified, amplified in the media. And once again, I think that's right. That as a social worker, if we're looking for coherence in societies and we're looking for strong communities where every person is valued, that means that we're we're valuing everyone through the age, through the lifespan, aren't we? And we're seeing that their jobs are different. You have different tasks, different developmental tasks throughout your whole life. Um, however, there's got to be enough support and give and take enough space for, for all of us, I guess. So there's there's a lot in there about the, the kind of macro social work role, the collective social work role. I think there is... Um, there's a fair amount there that relates to good community social work 
how mm. you work with the whole community to support intergenerational um, help um, and support um, and networks. And that means on an individual level, if you're working with a child, you're working with adult parents and you're working with the next generation and if you're working with parents you're working with adult services as well as children's services so there's also this specific social work role as well i think around um our direct work with people who who aren't thriving in young adulthood who are struggling to manage the transitions and development in that time who are struggling to form relationships or who are struggling to achieve interdependence that works for them um, or who don't have the opportunity to be really part of society we talked last time about how um, life course adversity um, adversity in childhood could be carried into adulthood through the transition Mm. and that people at the highest risks of homelessness and offending and substance dependence often behind that is a story of struggle in childhood Um, but there's also people who come into adulthood actually with society having quite low expectations and low aspirations um, for the kind of life that they could have and I'm thinking um, for example about um, people with learning disabilities um, who don't have the support to overcome some of the barriers they face who might Mm. not struggle to get into employment maybe struggle to have housing struggle to form relationships because of people's risk aversion around them Mm. and there's a really wonderful um, manifesto for an ordinary life by an organization called stay up late that i've mentioned before which has um just a set of rights so my right living where i choose my right making my own friends my right no bedtimes my right making my own decisions my right loving and being loved my right being valued for being me my right, a paid job, and my right, people who are happy to support me and who I've chosen to be in my life. And it's called a manifesto for an ordinary life. Actually, it requires us to be a lot more aspirational than we currently are. And to it think really a lot does. bigger. It shouldn't yeah. do, but it really does. So, And they're such simple but profound things, really, aren't they? They're the, they're the, they're the stuff of life, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, and I think for, for social workers, again, our challenge, isn't it, is to continue to be aspirational for young adults um, and, yeah, for people with disabilities or who are disadvantaged. People who face barriers, yeah. So I think we can we can finish up with a reflective question, um, which, it, well, it's a few, actually. What are the implicit expectations of younger adults or the explicit expectations of younger adults? Um by me, by people around me, by society as a whole. Mm. How does that impact on me and, and how I do social work? But what's the impact on the on the young adults? And how can we help them to forge their own identity and their own successful adult path? Yeah. And make sure that that's something for everyone. Everyone has the opportunity to do that. 